and welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Mitchell Farley-Wolf, and I'm here with the editor-in-chief of Super Jump Magazine, James Burns. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty well. And editor-at-large, Wyatt Donegan. How's it going, everybody? It's going pretty well. Yeah, uh, we have a great show for you today. We're, we're going to uh, talk through some pretty, well, maybe not necessarily fun uh, pieces of video game industry news involving some layoffs, uh, celebrate an anniversary, and talk about a game a lot. <laughs> uh, on All on this episode of the Super Jump Podcast. Um, but first, I, I just wanted to, uh, to ask you guys, what's going on? What, what have you been up to lately? Well, uh, my life's been completely consumed with work, uh, like like boring real world work in the last the last couple of weeks since the last time we spoke. Lots of travel Ew. and and that sort of stuff. So um, as you'll as you'll come across in the playtime report, I uh, I haven't played much except for one very special thing. So yeah, I uh, my big thing is that. I've been trying to figure out how to get just vanilla flavored Tootsie Rolls for a while <laughs> because I've only previously been able to find them in the like the fruit assortment packs of Tootsie Rolls. Um, but I found a place online where I can just get bags of just vanilla Tootsie Rolls. I ordered 150 of them. Uh, so those came in yesterday. Uh, and I, it's just been great. I've been... <laughs> We've been having a great time. Um, so that's that's my whole life. <laughs> uh, anything interesting going on, Wyatt? Uh, yeah, I've actually been in between, kind of transitioning between jobs. I'll be starting writing with the, uh, my, for my full-time job at least, I'll be starting with a new website um, on Monday. So by the time you guys hear this podcast, I will have started writing somewhere else. Oh, cool. Cool, very we'll cool. Have to, uh, we'll have to check in with you on the next episode and see how that goes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, if that uh, two and a half minutes of riveting conversation wasn't enough to convince <laughs> you, um, you should subscribe to us on whatever podcatcher you listen to regularly, wh- whether it's iTunes or whatever fun third-party app Android situation you got going on. It's Super Jump Podcast. We're trying to put one out every week. We, this is the third one in a week we've been regular on, uh, and we expect that to continue indefinitely. So please, please, please help us out and give us a, a review or a like, depending on whatever system you find us on. Okay, let's head into the Playtime Report. Okay, I'm gonna start this one uh, with with my thing because it'll be a lot quicker, I think. Uh, <laughs> so I I finished Super Mario RPG. Um, it's a, it's just a really fun game, just a, a really relaxed um, RPG. It it reminds me that like not every RPG needs to be what we now associate with with like a, a modern AAA RPG where. Uh, you just put in a hundred hours, and that's mm. just what it is. That's just you go to the hundred hour mark, and and then maybe you can finish. Uh, this game is like fifteen hours, and it's a full, serious AAA at the time RPG still. Uh, so that was fun. I I don't know if I like it as much as uh, a lot of the other Mario RPGs, specifically the the first two Paper Marios are are like up there with my favorites, but I liked it. Okay, that's out of the way. I don't, I don't think we have anything else to say about Super Mario RPG. Uh, James, Wyatt, you've been playing Destiny 2. Yes. I'm, I'm probably a bit late to the bandwagon compared to Wyatt. Um, I, I realized I, I had all sorts of weird issues with just downloading it because I, um, I had Destiny 2 and I had the first two expansions and... For some reason, there was some weird issue on PSN around the licensing of this. Um, like I was, I was looking in the store to try and download it, and I was getting all these messages on PSN saying this game is not available for download. And I'm going, huh? But it's been released. What's going on? So uh, it was a bit of a kerfuffle, guys. Uh, it was a bit of a pain. I had to delete all of my Destiny Two stuff. 
and re-download oh everything God. for it to work for some reason. Um, but eventually, you know, a couple of days later, it was sorted. Um, and I think I was thinking about this, like my, my story with Destiny is probably similar to a lot of people where I played the original, um, I played the original from beta. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I got all of the expansions for the original. I had the same emotional roller coaster journey with the original that everybody else did where it was great and then it sucked (laughs) and then it was great and then it sucked. Um, and I, I enjoyed destiny too, but like everybody else has said, you know, you, you complete the single player campaign and everything. You kind of get into an end game with it. That's just not there. It's, it's just very kind of bare bones and it it doesn't Mm. really hold your interest. Uh, and there are a whole, you know, there's a whole raft of other changes they made that, that probably didn't work very well. Um, I got the first two expansions for Destiny 2, which were okay. Um, I'm just trying to remember what they're called. Curse of Osiris and Warmind, I think. Aren't they, Wyatt? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, You know, they were okay. But again, they were the kind of thing where you... For me, anyway, I'd I'd kind of play them pretty intensely for a couple of days and then just couldn't be bothered going back. Um, So, you know, Bungie just weren't... They weren't holding my interest, and I think that was probably true for a lot of people. Um, but Is I think, that okay? I like. Well, I, I'm wondering, like, if I, if I'm thinking about like Mario Odyssey, which is a game that came out last year that I really, really liked. I played through that uh, for about sixty hours, trying to get like everything in the game, and then I did. Yeah. Um, and. I came back to it once for, like, the Luigi balloon whatever. Yeah. And then just never again. So I'm wondering, like, is it maybe asking a lot from Destiny 2 to continue to be engaging for more than a few days every once in a while after you play through an entire campaign? Yeah. 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 Well, I think, like, the thing with Destiny is it's supposed to be an MMO. Like, it's supposed to be, like, wow. So... Like, it's, it has campaigns, but the meat of the game is supposed to be in what you do when you finish the campaign. So, like, that's the way it was with the first Destiny, where, you know, they were constantly adding new strikes, and there was new gear to obtain, there was, you know, new power levels to, to, to gain and all of that. So, like, it was, it's, it's supposed to be something that keeps, that brings you coming back over and over again. Not just something that, like, you kind of play and then put down like you you Mm. can play destiny like that but the thing that i think a lot of us fell in love with was like the grind and just kind of Mm. really trying to find like that that exotic you were looking for that piece of armor completing all of your sets and all that kind of stuff yeah Mm. yeah exactly and i think i mean i don't want to i don't want to totally diminish the role of the campaigns in these games but um I kind of saw the campaigns a lot of the time as as the the staging area or the tutorial for the the main game, which is post campaign. Um, you know, a lot of Destiny, a lot of the time you spend in Destiny is based on, you know, strikes and public events and the raid and they're kind of these ongoing activities that you participate in over a period of time. Um and I think it's true, like I read a lot of the, the reviews of Forsaken and um, I was definitely, like I was holding off a little bit, but I think Wyatt, you really convinced me last time because <laughs> I know you're a big Destiny fan. Um, yeah. And I mean, what can I say? Like, it's it's awesome. I've, I've really barely scratched the surface of it so far. Um, like yeah. from, a, from a campaign perspective, you know, even the structure of the campaigns is quite interesting because you're not doing kind of linear mission after mission. You know, you're you're basically hunting these these bosses, and you can do them in any order, and each one is very very different, and you know has a very different set of tactics involved. Um, you know, in terms of taking them down, I've only done two of those. I've I've probably spent most of my time in Gambit, which is 
one of the most awesome video game creations i think it's it's really really smart and it's something that i hope bungie kind of really invest in over time um did we talk about gambit at all last time i can't remember i don't think so i don't think we ever like i got into what that is and everything it's very fun. it's it's really really fun and like just basically in a nutshell because there's a lot to it but basically it's it's like a, a pve a competitive pve experience so you've basically got two teams of four you can actually kind of see each other and face off at the very beginning of a match which is pretty fun because you're all standing there emoting at each other and doing all sorts of crap um you you basically both jump into identical arenas that are disconnected and effectively you're fighting your team is fighting waves of enemies and as you kill enemies you pick up these little things called moats um and the whole idea fundamentally is you collect enough of these to summon a huge boss called a primeval the first team to summon that boss and kill it wins the round but there's a whole lot of like really really interesting stuff that happens in between um so as you're collecting these moats um as you collect more and more you start to you build up enough that you can um, summon different kinds of enemies into your opponent's arena. And when you summon those enemies, they are not able to bank their moats. So there's like a, there's a little collector in the middle of the arena where you can actually bank the moats that you've collected from killing enemies. Um, so there's this tension between you know, I'm collecting all of my moats. What is the right time to bank them? When do I want to kind of stop the other team and throw a spanner in the works for them? Um, you can also invade. You can also send one of your players to invade their arena. Um, and one of the really cool things is if your opposing team summons a primeval well before you do, you can actually invade them. And if you get player kills on their side if you kill their teammates you'll actually heal their primeval and thus you know you'll slow them down and buy your team more time and one of the things that happens in gambit that i think is is it's kind of one of the hallmarks of great multiplayer i think is this idea that your team can be well behind for most of the match but if you're if you're clever and if you're lucky you can you can kind of um, come back from the dead, so to speak, right at the end of a match. Like you can end up on a real cliffhanger right in the last seconds. And that's really, really cool and exciting. There's there's like rarely a situation where your team's way behind and it's like, okay, we'd better just give up. Like we'll just throw the match because we're never going to win. We've got no chance. There's a lot of opportunities yep. for you to catch up. So does this seem altogether like an expansion that would um really go a long way in in changing your feeling about well i'm only gonna like do the main campaign for this this expansion play it for a couple days and then i'm out again will this be different do you think uh yeah i for me definitely because i i think um i mean i haven't gone anywhere near the raid or even really the new strikes or anything yet um but i think they've i think what bungie have done is is really smart they've made sure that um they're investing in in things that keep people coming back um you know you can keep you can play round after round of gambit and not get tired of it and that happened to me last weekend i ended up playing gambit until like three o'clock in the morning and I never, I, I never stay up that late playing games. I actually looked at the time and I'm like, holy shit, I need to go to bed. Um, so I think that's, that alone is just kind of an indication of, of what they've created. Interesting. Yeah. And like, you know, to kind of talk about, you know, James's point of them bringing people back. So like, let me just like break down like what has happened since the game has come out. So like the game came out on the fourth, and then the um, 
when you finish the main campaign, you unlock this new area called the Dreaming City, which is the place where the raid will take place. And uh, it's this really cool um, play. Like, it's a, it's a gorgeous location. I mean, all of the locations in Destiny, pretty much across the board, are pretty, pretty beautiful. But this one, like, kind of takes the cake. They put a lot into this area. Um, so it came, you know, you, you unlock that after you beat the campaign. And then when the next reset rolled over on Tuesday things kind of started to change in the dreaming city. Things were looking a little bit different. Um, and then there was a new mission that was available. So you kind of did some other post game story things. <clears throat> um, and then the raid happened on, uh, the 14th. So last Friday or like two Fridays ago. Um, and then when they beat that raid, it unlocked a new strike. It changed the dreaming city again. And then the following reset, the Dreaming City changed once again. A new mission popped up. And then this past week, uh, it there, there's like a three-week cycle that the Dreaming City will be on. So like the corruption in the, the Dreaming City will kind of ramp up until it hits this kind of crescendo. And then so you, you did this other mission. And then there's this, they, Destiny released its first dungeon, which is essentially a mini raid. So it's only three people instead of a six person raid. Um, but it's just as difficult as a raid. And it's got its own like, you know, exotic loot that you can get from it. Um, so they just keep adding things that you almost feel like you need to keep playing every week. Cause you're going to miss something. Like I, I, I'm not even high enough power level yet to do the new dungeon because it's almost at max power and I'm like max power is 600 mm. and I'm at about 560 almost on, on all three of my characters. So like I'm not even anywhere close and I've played the game over a hundred hours at this point since Forsaken has come out. So, Oh wow. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's the, the grind is real. Like it takes a long time to hit like the people who are max power, like all the streamers, I think, They've all said they've put in about 300 hours this month at that point. There's a lot of so, good things I'm hearing about it, but it's just mm -hmm. the idea of starting now, like starting now, no way. I'm not I'm not on board. I can't. Well, but see, at, at the same time, if, when you start now, when you buy Forsaken, if you've never played, you'll get an item that will bring your character up to mm. not the current power level, but it'll bring you up to the level of the last expansion before forsaken came out so it'll basically okay. put you in the same position to start playing forsaken yeah. um and then you can kind of start from there as if like just like anybody else who started a few weeks ago um so like there's a little bit of a catch-up mechanic there that'll kind of help you um if you haven't played i mean the experience point like part of that th that's nice to hear for that but even just like the know-how of knowing what's going on it seems that it, it's it's evolved to, to such a point where like huge things are happening like the addition to the, of this mini dungeon and to me if mm -hmm. i jumped in that'd probably be a little uh wasted because I, I i don't know the game without that now at this point i i yeah haven't. yeah um yeah i mean it's definitely yeah it, it's a lot and then they also added a new item that or special primeval that drops in gambit so there's even more reason to kind of grind Gambit. Um, it has like a super, super, super low drop rate. I'm talking like people have played for like a dozen hours and haven't gotten this boss to spawn yet. So there's <laughs> wow. like, yeah, because it's a special boss. And when you kill it, you get a piece for an exotic quest for this new item that people have been kind of, because there's a couple exotics that haven't popped up in the normal loot pool. Then everybody's just kind of like, hey, where are these exotics? And then this week, Bungie was like, here they are, but you have to fight really hard <laughs> to get them. <laughs> uh, has Bungie spoken on whether or not they want to have Destiny 2 last around the same amount of time as Destiny 1? They haven't said um, officially, but it probably won't last the same amount of time as Destiny 1 because Destiny 1 wasn't supposed to last for three years um well destiny, destiny 1 was two, supposed to last forever right like it well i mean the they i they don't i mean they said that you know they have this like 10 year franchise kind of goal but i think they're 
idea kind of got misconstrued along the way because mm. I think a lot of people, like including myself, at certain points, like kind of thought like Destiny, like that game was just going to be continually updated, yeah. you know, over and over, kind of like wow. But it, it seems now that they're going to kind of do these, like they'll release the main game, a couple small expansions, a big expansion, and then a, like a new game because Destiny. Two was actually supposed to come out in 2016, as opposed to 2017. Um, but there were some internal um, struggles in the studio, so that added a, a year-long delay to it, um, which is why that third year of Destiny was kind of so. What's meh. the what's the ten year thing? What's ten years? So I think that's just the franchise as a whole. Um, so oh, okay. like they're they want to do. Like, they want Destiny, whether it be Destiny 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, they want Destiny to be a thing for, like, 10 years. I read um, um I, I read a book called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier from Kotaku, yeah. which I, I heartily recommend. It's uh, a great book. It, it's a great book, and they, they have a chapter on the, the development of Destiny. Um, just really illuminating. I would, I would recommend any of our listeners that are interested in even the vaguest sense in game development to check that out. Um, but let's keep the show moving along. Uh, Wyatt, you've also played two other games. What are they? Yeah, so I uh, I played... I randomly got... Like, I used to play a lot of uh, card games. Like, I was really big in the Hearthstone when it first came out. Yeah. Um, but I kind of faded off of that. But then one of my friends mentioned something because um, there was a new expansion that was coming out for this other card game called Shadowverse. Um, so I was like, all right, I'll check that out. And I've, in the last, like, three or four days I've played it for like 10 or 15 hours. Cause it's been like a time sink for me. Cause I love, I love card games. So any card game that like has decent mechanics and doesn't have a lot of RNG, which was the problem with Hearthstone. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm all for this. So uh, definitely it's a free to play game. Um, and you actually get a good amount of like packs when you first start the game. Um, unlike Hearthstone, which kind of just drops you in and it's like, all right, here's some basic cards, but that's about it. Um, whereas this game, they give you about 40 packs right out the gate. So mm-hmm. you can kind of like build a little bit of a collection. Um, so it's pretty nice. So I've been playing that a lot. And then today, the uh, Soul Calibur Six, the latest fighting game in that series, is coming out in October. And they are doing like a, a network beta test this weekend. So that dropped this morning. Um, so that started at this morning <clears throat> at like eight, and I think I played it for about four hours straight because it's incredibly fun. So um, definitely, if you're into fighting games or anything like that, check it out. It's on PS4 and on Xbox, I believe, um, and it's free this weekend. So if you wanted to to check it out and see how it is, which character have you uh, gotten into mostly? Uh, mostly Nightmare, the guy that has like a really big sword with, looks like it has the Eye of Sauron on it. Uh, right on, um, right on. It's, uh, he does a ridiculously stupid amount of damage. Um, so, and he's really fun to play with, so. I'm excited that they, nice. uh, they got Geralt in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played with him a little bit. He has a little bit different of a style. He, I'm used to more like kind of long range characters that can like poke from pretty far away. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a bit more of like a mid to close range fighter um so it takes a little bit of different kind of finesse and this the the only thing with this beta it doesn't have like a training area it's just all online play so i can't really like test anything out without like fighting somebody oh, that's so, unfortunate yeah so i think they just want to like really test their servers but uh so i played him a little bit and he's fun but i, I would want to like actually be able to like hit training mode and kind of figure things out a little bit but mm. it's definitely it's it's a really fun game it doesn't seem as technically hard to get into as a game like street fighter um because you've only got like a couple buttons versus like street fighter that has like six um so it's a little bit a little bit easier to get into to start it d- definitely can still get super deep but it's it's a pretty low barrier to entry mm. sure i have a lot of uh, nostalgia with soul caliber from from when i was a kiddo um that that's one series that like it seems like it is maybe in trouble i really hope soul Calibur 6 does well sales wise 
Um, I think it's going to do pretty well. It's been there's been a lot of hype in the in the fighting game community about it. Like yeah, I, even people that I haven't seen play fighting games in like general seem more yeah. healthy than like even three years ago or so. Uh, mm. Which is nice. I, I hope that keeps up. James, you ever play Soul Calibur? Ever get into that? Yeah, I, I've got the nostalgia factor as well. I loved the original on Dreamcast. Um, and it was probably, <clears throat> honestly, it was probably the first fighting game I played a lot since, I don't know, um, Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat on the, the SNES days. <laughs> so, um, but I haven't played Soul Calibur since the original. Um, I'm really happy to hear that Soul Calibur 6 still has that kind of friendlier barrier to entry, that, that kind of lower barrier. Um, I might check it out. Yeah, that's cool. Let's head into the Newsy Nibble. We got some bad news this week. Um, three different studios have either closed or had a massive amount of, of layoffs. And they aren't small studios. Uh, they, they have quite a bit of people in them. Uh, the first that we'll talk about today is Capcom Van- Vancouver. Uh, developer of the Dead Rising franchise, they just shut down. They're completely gone. Uh, 158 people were part of that uh, branch of Capcom, and they are all laid off in order to pay uh, severance, which is good that they are being paid severance. We'll get to that one later. Yeah, Um, for real. (laughs) um, In order to do that, Capcom had to take a $40 million loss just for shutting it down what do you guys think about that um i I don't know much about the circumstances behind this one except to say pay your staff they should take the loss (laughs) yeah yeah. they should take the loss that's the right thing to do so it looks like the the internal reasoning for shutting them down is that they've seen decreasing profits from each dead rising game uh they Mm. were working on five right now uh and then four just didn't do too well at all it's kind of hard to argue with that um like they weren't making great games anymore and Mm -hmm. uh capcom being a very japanese company is now saying like hey this was kind of our big reach into international gaming didn't work out from from now on into the foreseeable future we're gonna really just focus on uh japanese favoring games and and hope they do well on an international scale because they've proven with monster hunter world that they they can yeah just make that that hope and and have Mm. that work out um yeah it's yeah it definitely seems like they're kind of like i think capcom as a whole is kind of in like a not like a crisis but they're really trying to like kind of nail down what they want to do because mm. even yeah. like they're fighting the the fighting game division is like kind of a little bit in trouble because like marvel vs. capcom infinite completely bombed like it, it was like widely seen as, as pretty much a failure and then even street fighter 5 is it's being played because it's the it's like the newest the street, street fighter, fighter you but, can play yeah. but a lot of people don't really care for the game itself yeah um like a lot of the mechanics and everything but on the other side of things like they've got devil may cry 5 coming out they've got resident evil 2 remake coming out mm. so on, on that side it seems like they're kind of refinding themselves so i guess you know kind of saying all right well we're just gonna take the loss on this side and like you said i'm glad they paid their uh their workers because it's not it's not the workers fault that the that the you know that the games end up doing as well as as uh as capcom would have liked so no i uh, i I think this is generally i mean not good news but like it's it's expectedly all right it's as all right as you can go with shutting down a studio um Mm -hmm. my, my my only take on this is really like if you are a company like Capcom where you operate in you're not Activision Blizzard, you're not EA, right? You're you're putting out games that do successful. They they do successfully. Um but you're not putting out the megatons that some of the other companies had and unexpectedly you had a megaton this year. You had Monster Hunter World that just 
propelled your company into a much higher status than it was before. I, in a, in a perfect world, you would hope that that kind of affluence would let a games company like that focus even more rather than less on less successful titles because they can justify it. Um, and it's gone the other way, and I think that's just kind of how capitalism works, and I'm, like, a little jilted about that. Um, but, you know, that's, that's I guess, how it has to be um, when you can visualize yourself just saying, why don't I put more money into a second Monster Hunter IP project and just make way, way more money than uh, Dead Rising ever would, you kind of have to just say, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Do that. Uh, yeah. Like, it's it's the thing with, um, like, w- at, with Nintendo, uh, ARMS sold around 2 million copies, which is amazing for a new IP. Mm. Um, a, a new IP, a console-exclusive new IP, no less. 2 million copies for ARMS. That is a resounding success. If I was the head of Nintendo, I would tell that team to never make ARMS again, just keep making Mario Kart. Because, like, business sense, you can't not make Mario Kart, even though you did successfully. It's, like, it, it's just such an opportunity cost to not... Because that team, the t- ARMS team is also the Mario Kart team. and Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it seems like, like with Dead Rising, you know, when that game first came out, they kind of hit at a time. Because they that game came out before kind of like the zombie craze like this it was mm. like zombies were a thing but it wasn't kind of it was before like walking dead when yeah, yeah that like kind of made literally everything was like hey zombie 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 yeah um but when the first dead rising came out it was just so different because it was just like here we're gonna throw hundreds and hundreds of zombies and you're gonna kill them with like a golf club or like a you know a plank from a bench or mm-hmm. something and it was just this kind of weird quirky just like stupid campy thing that worked and i think they instead of just saying like hey that was a good thing we did let's kind of like just leave that alone they continued to try and do that and it got to the point where it's like okay if i played one dead rising i've kind of played them yeah all. yeah it seemed like the escalation factor in the dead rising sequels were like okay it was a wacky zombie game but now it's wacky er now you're driving a yeah. golf cart through a mall and like that's that is funny and that's that's like fun to play but the the novelty of having a wacky zombie game is no longer a novelty at all um so i i guess that's just not it's just not it doesn't own the niche it's in at all anymore i can't blame capcom too much for shutting this down of course it's sad when anyone loses their job and uh game devs specifically seem to be losing a lot of jobs these days uh which is a segue to what Telltale Games did. Check this out, fun guys. Uh, Telltale Games shrunk to around 10% of what it previously was. They technically did not shut down. Uh, they went from 250 employees to a skeleton crew of about 25. Um, which are, from what I could find, the the specific, like, which 25 are they? Are they executives or are they just, like, some programmers that you need? Mm. Um as far as I can tell, the 25 are the remnants of most of the Minecraft story mode team at Telltale. Um, which makes sense, because the one thing they're still doing, uh, they, they have an agreement with, with uh, Microsoft and Netflix to keep making Minecraft story mode. You gotta keep making Minecraft story mode. Uh, you gotta finish the second season, at least. So they're gonna finish that second season. Um, the Walking Dead... They have a season out right now of The Walking Dead called The Walking Dead, The Final Season. Um, And, oh man, what an awful thing to call it. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it's like if only they could have kind of foreseen that and be like, let's not. Yeah, because if you say it's the fourth season, which it is, you're just like, oh, well, you know, got four seasons. If you don't finish the thing you called The Final Season, that's rough. (laughs) Yeah. It's gonna. It, the final season was originally planned to be four episodes. Uh, the first one came out before any of this happened. The second one came out two days after this happened. It was pretty much already done. And so, th- uh, episodes three and four had some work done on them. And Telltale Games has issued a, a public statement saying, 
hey, episodes three and four, we may work with a partner in order to find some way to, to put that to put those out. We're pretty excited about that. And I don't know about you guys, but to me that comes off as incredibly tasteless. Because the people that were working on that game aren't going to be making it if mm. that happens. Like, even if they end up making episodes three and four of the final season of The Walking Dead, it's not the, the people that were supposed to make it. They just give it to some other studio. And if they're just going to have someone make it anyway, why can't you just keep the other people on? Uh, you're going to be paying someone. So so that does yeah, that doesn't no. smell right at all. Um, yeah the whole situation yeah. just feels very weird and just i mean the the way they're kind of handling it all seems like well, i think when, when we hear more about the way the company was kind of operating it's mm-hmm. not surprising that it got to this point but it's still just it's very tasteless and just not a good look at all yeah it's Man, it's really not good. Uh, there, there's been some, I, I suppose, unverified, but a number of different uh, former Telltale employees have come out saying this. The only Telltale series, the only one that was making mine, uh, making money at all, was the Minecraft series. The Walking Dead was losing money. Uh, they did Game of Thrones pretty much in the height of the Game of Thrones popularity. It was losing money. Uh, they did. They did so many things recently that they did a Batman game. Two seasons yeah. of it lost mm-hmm. money. Uh, that's incredible, right? Like that. That's that's crazy. And and the uh, the one based on the the comic book uh, fables. What is the Wolf Among Us? That one won all these awards. People really like it. They're they're saying like the the Walking Dead's the most notable Telltale modern thing. But the Wolf Among Us is probably the best. I haven't played it, but that's like word on the street, I suppose. Uh, I guess I'm not alone in having not played it <laughs> because it was not making any money. Um, if that is the case, and you're continuing to hire people, mm. there was someone hired to work at Telltale, um, though less than a week before this happened, they moved across the country to. Uh, Northern California, where, where where Telltale is, or uh, I think it's in Northern California. It's somewhere in California. Uh, they they moved their entire life, and they they moved in on Monday. This happened on a Thursday, of that same week. That's incredible. Mm. Just just really upsetting. Um, I I can't remember anything like this happening in games. Like not like this. This is a new low. Yeah, I think for for a company of this size in general, um, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, the two hundred and fifty people who are laid off will, you know, will find other work, and and hopefully they'll ultimately be okay. Um, but but when I look at this situation, I'm thinking the the executives at Telltale Games who allowed this to happen um, through. I don't know what kind of incredibly poor mismanagement, incredibly poor financial management. I mean, they would have known, as you said before, they had all of these games they were releasing that were not doing well, that were losing money. They, If they had done even the most basic financial planning, they would have realized a long time ago that this was coming. Um, yeah. And they, they could certainly, at the very least, they could have taken steps to look after their staff um, over a period of time uh, because, of course, any company, especially in a creative endeavor, um, the, the staff are the company. Um, that There's no distinction, you know. Um, so the people who, who presided over this from an executive point of view, uh, I, I'd be shocked to, to see them being hired at other companies in the future because if you saw... You know, if someone applied to be a CFO at your company and they had been CFO at Telltale Games over this period of time, you surely you wouldn't go near them. No, you're uh, going to yeah, be blacklisted so, You know, um, they, yeah, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know anything about US employment law, but if if something like this had happened here in Australia and uh, the company didn't pay severance, 
what would probably be happening now is that you would have a regulator going after the directors of the company um, to ensure that that severance is paid. Well, there, there might be, if not a silver lining, a, a vengeful lining of, of red blood on this <laughs> cloud here. Uh, because the United States does have a, a specific um, law, uh, a work-related law called the WARN Act, which uh, is pretty complicated, but at the end of the day, it basically says that you need to warn, uh, if you're a company of a certain size, mm-hmm. you need to warn your your staff that you're experiencing near bankruptcy financial troubles at least 60 days before um, before you shut down the whole studio and lay, lay uh, people off in this massive way. So, because this seems to be a violation of that, there is a class action lawsuit against the Telltale executives um, waged by pretty much the entirety of the uh, laid-off staff. I really hope that they get severance out of this. Mm. Um, I think they should, because especially yeah. if, if their studio is in California as well, California has like the strictest labor laws in the entire country. Um, so I'm sure that there was, just from what we've heard, I without a doubt there was at least one or two probably multiple labor laws that they have violated and like just kind of laying everybody off and not paying severance and because there's just a a bevy of things that they've done wrong here so Mm -hmm. hopefully they get something yeah Yeah. in terms of labor laws california is often compared more with uh europe than the rest of its neighboring states yeah. Which is good for Telltale employees. Uh, I I really hope they get something out of this. I the story is not over yet. Here, we're gonna we're probably gonna be hearing about this one for a while. I I, I just wonder like if they have no money. There a lot of people are coming out to defend the Telltale executives, which is like, first of all, why? But also, uh, <laughs> like they're 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 using the argument. You're gonna sue them for severance, and then what money are you going to get? They have no money. Uh, not the worst point in the world, except for the fact that they're going to make uh, in the rest of the Minecraft season. Like, they they have more projects that they're going to make money on. Mm. Um, they plan on doing that, or like they said, with the episodes two and, uh, or sorry, three and four of The Walking Dead. They're, they're planning on doing these other projects before they finally just dwindle out into oblivion. They will be incurring money at that time. Um, if it's just going into the 25 employees that are remaining, uh, I, I guess those 25 remaining employees are going to be pretty lit, uh, pretty rich if they don't spread out severance to all of the other employees that are, that have been laid off. Uh, yeah. And I yeah. think it's, it's not just about when people say, oh, you know, they don't have the money, therefore they can't pay the severance. I mean, there's a couple of points in response to that. One is by suing them they may get some money they may they may not recover everything but they might recover some money uh, that they're owed and secondly I think uh, taking legal action is and, and again I don't know what the laws are there in California but um, taking legal action against the directors or the executives is um, it means that someone's being held accountable and hopefully it's a warning to other companies that are in this situation. You know, if you do this, you will be held accountable under the law. So it's it's not just about saying, you know, they get all their severance or they get nothing. There is kind of that that middle path where hopefully they'll get something. And, right. you know, an, effectively an example will be made of the, the company and of the executives. At the very least, you want to establish some sort of precedent, a legal precedent, yeah. to uh let the other companies out there know that like hey you can't just do this you can't just do this to a, a group of real people um for as long as video games have been one of the largest industries in the world video game developers have not unionized which is um it, it's strange considering that the the neighbor industries of, of music and um film all have all of these kinds of guilds and unions that actors and and screenwriters and uh musicians all all have to be into 
to get any kind of serious work, especially in a place like California, uh, this might this really feels like the start of something there. There's a lot of outrage. There's a lot of uh, real consideration in terms of uh, wanting more focus on, on uh, employee benefits and employee uh, treatment. So um, one more, though. This one's not in America, actually. Uh, I guess the Vancouver one wasn't in America either. Uh, Club Penguin Island, which is a game that I would understand if you have not heard of, but Club Penguin, the children's MMO, was shut down last year. It had a good run. Club Penguin Island was the mobile follow-up to that game. The reason the original game was shut down was to make room for Club Penguin Island. So uh, it, that that happened right after a Disney buyout of the Club Penguin IP, which is much bigger than anyone could ever assume. Uh, really just, just staggering numbers about Cl- Club Penguin when it was in its heyday. Club Penguin Island has not been as uh, as lucky dozens of the disney canada staff that have been put on the work for that game after the the disney buyout and the switch from the the uh in browser club penguin game to the mobile game have been laid off and uh club penguin island itself was just shut down uh that one is the weirdest to me actually uh, with with Telltale, it's like we're we're slowly getting the remnants of what they were working on. And Vancouver, Dead Island or Dead Rising Five was just never a thing, really. It, it we knew it was in development, but we never quite saw it. Club Penguin Island, on the other hand, people were playing this, and then they were not. People people were playing this, and then the next day, um, the same day that the news came out about this, it went down. And the same day that the news went out, this is when all of these employees that were laid off found out. Uh, just just like a, a shockwave, an instantaneous wave across Disney, just deciding that they'd no longer want to deal with Club Penguin. Uh, yeah. It, this one's weird to me. What do you guys... Do you guys have any thoughts about this at all? Yeah, that's weird. Like, it just seems weird to me that so many of these these uh game developers just kind of like up and decide like all right well we're just not gonna do this anymore sorry guys and they just like Mm. take their ball and go home um it just it just feels wrong in a lot of ways because it's like these are people that you know this is their jobs these are livelihoods and to just like come into work one day and be like yeah so this thing you guys have been working on for a long time yeah we're just gonna shut it down bye see you later yeah it just seems like in in general two of these three companies that we've talked about um were were part of larger entities and maybe these larger entities didn't fully think out i mean that that's probably a a big accusation to levy on a corporation that needs to think very carefully about spending millions of dollars on anything but like does it feel like they really thought out the club penguin thing does it make sense for disney to buy that and then shut it down later uh, does it make sense for Capcom to create this studio and then dissolve it? Uh, EA does this all the time. We always get mad at them for it. They, they buy a studio that can't say no because the price of being bought out, it would make like all of the studio founders rich. So you, you kind of just, you can't, you have a fiduciary duty, as they say, to make sure that, that you... Uh, make all the money you can and that includes being bought out but then ea will just trash him they'll just trash him a couple years later and disney seems to be on that same trajectory um man i don't know what you can do to stop that but it doesn't seem like a healthy thing to exist in the games industry as much as it currently does yeah i mean you that's the thing like you can't in in any industry i mean companies will be purchased companies will die and be shut down people will be laid off but i think the common thread that i'm seeing here is just the fact that you know these things are so sudden and there's no there's no apparent preparation or provision to support the staff and to kind of manage the process with people and and that really that's really worrying because i mean unless you're building where everybody's working is hit by a tsunami and you literally have seconds to make a decision 
every company in the world of any size. I mean, at the very least, they set budgets one year in advance. At the very least, usually they set sort of indicative budgets longer than that, especially big companies. You know, a lot of these companies also have to report up either to shareholders or to a parent company or whatever. So there's this idea that there's a sudden surprise and you suddenly had to come in on a Thursday and let everybody go and you didn't know about it beforehand or you couldn't have planned for it is bullshit. Um, it's just yeah, not, it's a, it's it doesn't bad. happen in the real world. These surprises don't happen. The only thing I can think that that would be, and I don't know much about the, the Club Penguin Island thing, but the only thing I can imagine that could happen there that would justify it is if, if a Disney exec walked into your office and said, oh, by the way, we're cancelling your contract right now. Now, I believe you know, that, that is the gist of what happened so that, that um, can I, happen I, but yeah. even that probably violates the terms of the contract um so you know there's there's usually most companies of a reasonable size usually do see these things coming uh they usually plan contingencies for these things if they happen um uh, when i see people out there kind of defending what the execs are doing here i'm thinking I don't understand why they're doing that. It it just makes me think maybe they don't they they don't know anything about business, or yeah. <laughs> I don't know what their motivation is. But it's there really unacceptable. There's a tweet I saw that said, "If you're a fan of Telltale, you're a fan of the people that made the games Telltale made. That's what you're a fan of." Yes. So if mm-hmm. these people are gone and you're still defending Telltale, are you just like a fan of the office space that they worked yeah. in? Like the building? Exactly. Uh, like exactly what are you right. a fan of here? Why why would you defend that? What are you just like executives as a concept? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Absolutely. I don't know. I I don't know what you're I there, there's such a I I think we were done a real disservice about but by growing up in an industry where a lot of our big games that we looked forward to for a long time until like the late 90s were coming mostly from Japan. And in that situation, not only do we just have a, a uh, an inability to kind of relate because they're not talking about the development process too often in a translated easily findable sort of way the internet was young as well um and not only that but there was a culture in japan where it's just like maybe you know who the president is of a company but everyone else kind of puts their head down and and they work and they they don't expect to get like a a a notoriety for being an artist or a programmer or something Mm -hmm. like that on a game Mm -hmm. uh so maybe we, we we've carried that with us in a cultural way and now we just view game developers as something like, well, someone can finish The Walking Dead. Yeah. It's fine if it, someone finishes it. And that's just not it. That's just not how it works. Pe- humans made it. It's not, yeah. you can't just yeah. put enough hours into something and make it. Yeah. The, the way you do it is, is going to grossly um, impact the, the shape of the final product. Um that's all I have to say on that. Anything any other uh, any other words on that before we move on? No, I think we I feel like we've summed it up pretty yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um uh, let's get to purchasing a mood ring shaped like Lickitung's unmentionables at Hot Topic. What do you guys think Lickitung's unmentionables are shaped like? Because it's kind of just like a smooth, <laughs> like a well, like an upside down hill, just a very smooth slope. <laughs> I a smooth slope. I think that's a. I'm gonna go with that one. I feel like that's a. Good, that's just what it looks like. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> well, to me, Lickitung itself already sounds unmentionable. So mm-hmm. I I can't, I can't imagine what its unmentionables would be like. I had it. This is not the hot topic, but <laughs> I had a, uh, a like a dissection um, assignment in high school <laughs> biology, and we dissected frogs. And no, I'm sorry. 
they were not frogs. They were uh, they were frogs, and then also fetal piglets, which was a whole situation. Oh, really? Just a, a rough time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> that kind of thing makes you think. Like, okay, twenty nine of the people in this thirty people size class are not going to grow up to be doctors. Don't why why have everyone do it? Yeah, like why? <laughs> Come on. Guys. But anyway, it just struck me as so odd that like frogs are built like ken dolls it's they're just completely smooth down there and then like people are gonna <laughs> assure you no they have they have some sort of reproductive organs and you're, you're just looking at it as like it's a smooth surface <laughs> it's what, what are they gonna do <laughs> the female and male frogs look identical <laughs> and, so please don't tell me that there were kids in the class who put their hands up and that that was the moment when they had had to have the birds and bees discussion with their teacher. No, there weren't kids in the class that did it. That would be it. There scary. was a kid in the class that did it, and his name was Mitchell. But uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about what happened about, let's say, 10 years before that. Um, and that is the, the, the anniversary of Pokemon spread to the West when America first got the games and uh, Australia first got the games. That happened on September 28th of 1998. And when Red and Blue came to America, I want to, I just want to talk about this because this is a big deal. 20th anniversary. <laughs> what were you what were you guys doing at the time? What uh, were you interested in Pokemon at at that time like from the get-go? Had you heard about it before it came out here? I hadn't heard of it before it came out um i had just heard i like somebody like one of my friends or or like a kid somewhere had it and i was like oh what's that and they're like yeah this is pokemon and i was like oh what is pokemon and then they like i kind of saw it and then and then i was like i want that game and my parents bought it for me and then and then you had it and then i had it and i played way too much of it for the next like i don't know 10 years i played it heavily like I did blue and red and then silver and gold. And then I think Ruby and Sapphire was like the last one that I played religiously. Mm-hmm. Like I think I played most of the ones after that, but I didn't play them as much as I played the, mm. those first like three generations. James, you were working at Nintendo at, around this time, weren't you? Yeah, I'm just thinking this was probably the exact time when that when I was doing that. Uh, and um, the... The thing I remember from that time was that I think it was the it was actually the first time I saw um, Ocarina of Time. Um, that was the big thing I remember from that period, like as in saw it in the flesh. Um, the thing I remember about Pokemon was, I think, like when it came out in Australia, it was very. And I suppose this is probably still the case, but it was definitely pitched at a younger demographic. Um, and sure, so yeah. in, in 98, I was in year 10 in high school. So I was almost into the senior, the last two years of high school. Um, and I think probably for that reason, like my attention was all about Zelda and what was coming on the N64. And I probably wasn't as focused on um you know handheld games and i i probably dismissed pokemon initially but it just got to the point pretty quickly i think just within a few months that everybody i knew was playing it um and i even had uh, i had a friend in high school whose mum she was not a gamer at all really but she she used to play tetris religiously on the game boy and Pokemon was the only other game she played. She started getting into Pokemon. Um, oh, that's and cool. I love it when the parents get into games for their kids. Or yeah. I guess just on their own. But And I figured it must have been special because it was like the only other game she played. Um, so I, I picked up, I think it was Pokemon Red. Um, and I definitely joined the fad with everybody else. Like um, I, I got into it like everybody else. But really, after Pokemon Red, I 
don't think I'm just trying to think. I don't think I ever really played another um, Pokemon game after that. Yeah, we uh, the way it rolled out here in America was if if you were a kid that this was definitely aimed at for sure you're you're right james it was aimed at kids primarily um you might have been aware of it before the games actually came out because well first i remember my cousins got pokemon cards which uh were were being imported from japan at the time Mm. uh in mass quantities everyone wanted these cards they couldn't read anything they said they had some numbers on it they thought maybe those were relevant they weren't sure though uh my cousins had some cards and i was like what are those and that they said these are pokemons and i said what is a pokemon and they said it's like a pokey it's like a man with spikes on it i don't know uh (laughs) and they they were just playing that for a while and then the the anime show was translated and put on network television here before the games even came out like a like a month before the games came out mm-hmm. um so that i i was familiar with that too and that was absolutely my jam i was way into watching the show uh, i was the exact correct age which is uh i was years old and i <laughs> i just really really got into that when i when i finally got pokemon the, the games i that was for sure my favorite aspect of it but uh like everything just kind of really came together to hit me like a perfect storm with with the way Pokemon's uh, release came out, and then as as the years went on, my cousins would stop playing it, but then I was finally as old as they were, and I'm like, hey, I have means to do things on my own now. I'm I'm gonna play this game uh, with you guys, and they're just out, not not fans anymore. And that's basically why I, I talk to people on the internet that I've never actually met in person about video games to make podcasts because my cousins won't play games with me anymore. That's why <laughs> this is all happening in general. So you can really bring it back to the Pokemon, uh, the anniversary of Pokemon 20 years ago. Uh, that's <laughs> So that's that thing. Uh, you guys have a favorite Pokemon? Oh, I, I'm going to be really ultra obvious uh, and just say Pikachu is my favorite. Um, I, I saw an article. Uh, I don't remember which publication it was. It was a mainstream, like non-gaming publication. And they recently posted an article that compared Pikachu to Mickey Mouse in terms of just cultural significance and, you know, that, that there are millions of people out there that have never actually played a Pokemon game and probably haven't seen the show but they know pikachu and they you know they kind of recognize him as a character um so you know i'm i'm in that group of sheep i guess <laughs> uh, i'd say for me it was squirtle because i really i like turtles and he was like one of the original starters so ever mm. since then there hasn't been a pokemon that's like kind of captured my uh my gaze well, that, that sounds kind of that sounds kind of creepy squirtle captured your gaze that's how it is um, yep exactly there you go that that's i said it and you don't need to worry about it we're, we're all this yep. is a safe space we're all friends uh <laughs> mine's probably gengar and i don't really have a reason for that at all anyway <laughs> it's been a great episode of the show today <laughs> uh i like i like pokemon uh if you want to write into the show you can do so at podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. That's podcast at superjumpmagazine.com. Who knows? Maybe your comment or question will be read on the show. But let's get into our after-school activities. James, why don't you go first? What's your after-school activity? Yeah, so mine is a recent video on um, Did You Know Gaming? Um, so probably... By the time you're hearing this, a lot of people will have seen it anyway, but it's really cool. Uh, it's by a guy called First, F-U-R-S-T, and it's all about Mother 3. And um, I was I was just interested in this because I'd recently written the article about kind of discovering Earthbound, you know, more than 20 years after it first came out. And um, the, the I love that weird... article, by the way. Thank it's, you. It's great. Um, the weird thing is I played Mother 3 before i played earthbound um i think that might have been the same for me too 
Yeah. And like, I was always interested to get into Earthbound, but the thing that kind of really ultimately convinced me was how great Mother 3 is. Um, And, you know, there's a million articles and videos and things online about the Mother series and the whole the whole saga around um, Mother coming to the N64 and then not, and then Mother 3 being released in Japan and nowhere else. Um, that's all kind of become legend by now. But this video is great because it just kind of condenses all of that stuff down into the one video. And it's really interesting. Um, I definitely recommend, like, you know, especially if anyone's played Earthbound and they haven't, really seen much about mother three it's worth checking this out there's a lot of really really cool trivia tidbits in this video cool uh mine is so in in season two of our show we used the theme song battle against a clueless foe off of the soundtrack uh for mother four actually the fan game mother four uh which was licensed into creative commons uh which let us which is the thing that let us use that song as our theme song by game chops which do a lot of remixes and uh professional releases of game uh soundtracks and they're all in creative commons and i love them uh i they recently put out a full album of lo-fi remixes of, of zelda songs and a lot of them have like rain backings and it just makes you feel like you're a kid in the 90s with uh like stuck inside with a hot cocoa on a rainy day playing ocarina of time which is exactly the right kind of uh, like abusive nostalgia pandering that exactly (laughs) appeals to me and i love it um just hearing a record scratch despite like no part of zelda or even the time zelda came out ever having been associated with records at all it's completely incorrect it's just awesome i love it anyway (laughs) um yeah so zelda and chill by game chops on youtube you can check that out wyatt what is yours uh so mine is uh there's a youtuber by the name he goes by my name is bife um he is a big destiny lore guy so anytime you have any like questions you want to know about destiny lore he's the one to go to um, so the one that I suggest checking out this week is earlier I mentioned how there's like a cycle for the Dreaming City and kind of how all of that shakes out. So he just put out a video this week that kind of goes deep into that and explains all of that because it's really confusing and there's a lot of stuff that's not really in the game proper and you kind of have to read through the like lore tab to kind of find it out. So he kind of distills everything down and, and gives you a, a really cool breakdown of it. So definitely check that out if you're interested in it. Cool. Um, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your podcatcher is. If you want to review us on any of those, uh, also, that is great. That would be awesome. If you want to tell a friend, that'd be fantastic. In fact, we grow primarily by word of mouth. So don't think that you telling a friend won't matter to me. I'll know if you did it or not, because (laughs) I, I, I just probably will know. So... I mean, think about that. You don't want to make me, like, really, really sad. Uh, today's my birthday, actually, so please tell a friend. That'll be your gift to me. I, I would appreciate it. So thanks for listening, and stay super! Spin the wheel, take a chance. Every journey starts a new romance. A new world's calling out to me.